Hi, my name is Mattia Murray, and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Before I jump in with this week's interview, I want to apologize for my audio quality during the interview. I tested my mic incorrectly and it was getting some clipping. So unfortunately, I'm not able to completely fix it on this end. But what I did was minimize the audio on my end whenever possible. And I will get it better next time. Thanks. Hello, hello, and welcome to my amazing guest, Billy Dean Thomas. They are a hip hop artist and very talented, just amazing person. Generally, I've taken a workshop with them and know them from Boston. Uh, and do it, tell us where you're from originally and just a little bit more about you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am Billy D. Thomas, and um, originally I am from Harlem, New York City, born and raised. Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time, most of my time in New York, but then um, throughout undergrad, I came over to Western Mass and sort of got my start to the Massachusetts scene in Western Mass. And um, it led me to Boston, where I've been, um, you know, sort of making it my my stomping grounds and my home um, for the last almost four to five years, which has been really wonderful. Um and yeah, I'm a hip hop artist, um, a creative consultant. I really just care about um, being intentional in all of my work, uplifting artists in particular, and also queer trans folks of color um, in the music space and also just in the larger performing art world. Yay. <laughs> I was going to clap and then I was like, they're not going to that. <laughs> so what are you passionate about these days? Obviously, there's music, but yeah, yeah what are you passionate about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think right now I'm super passionate about just, you know, sort of reveling and being alive, if that makes sense, and um, really just being okay taking the space to exist, um, which feels like something that's so simple, but it's actually quite difficult for me. <laughs> Um, you know, for several reasons, but yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about just being here and being on the earth and, um, trying to find ways to just thrive in that. And, um, I'm working against that burnout. I I'm also passionate about, like I said, supporting and uplifting artists to be the most sustainable that they can be. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me is just trying to figure out for myself, like, how can I make art work full time in a super capitalistic system where output is like the biggest priority? Um, and so I really want to help support myself and also other people to find this balance and to find a way to work less and get more results. Um, so that's sort of been my thing going hand in hand with just like existing. Like, how can we breathe and like pay our rent? Like that's sort of my <laughs> my main passion and goal right now is to try to figure out how to turn my breath into dollars, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, if that answers your question, what else am I passionate about? I'm passionate about a lot. I'm passionate about a lot of things. Um, but today, I 
I'm passionate about London Fogs. Um, that's been like my new favorite tea of choice. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Which for those not cool enough to know, that is an Earl Grey tea latte, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah, is also with, a favorite of mine. <laughs> with a little bit of vanilla. Um, yeah, that's, you know, nobody ever asks me what I'm passionate about right now. Like that's a really, so it kind of threw me off because I'm like, you know, you always have your like quick like responses, oh, I, my bio, but today I think, yeah. It's about being alive. It's about um, joy too, like trying to find it despite all of the turmoil and just like the really tough things that we see all day. Um, joy as resistance has been like my most favorite um, concept to think about, especially over the last two to three years. Just like, how do I, because it's so hard it is so hard to be joyful, like in my body and in my skin with so many things, just like <laughs> I, I walk out of my house and like the first thing that happens to me is someone misgenders me in a bakery. And I'm like, damn, I couldn't, you couldn't even wait till I got my sourdough. Like what? I, let me get my sourdough before you like commit acts of violence against my body. Like, let me chill for five minutes, you know? <laughs> so joy is just really, it's, it's prime for me. I love that. And that actually, I think, circles back perfectly to that uh, artist sustainability, which is something I think about as well as a, you know, working composer and, uh, you know, how to support ourselves enough to make the art that we want to make while still making enough money from art or whatever, you know, to be able to. And actually, I would love to hear you talk about that, how you feel um, and then this is kind of a huge question, but you know, the, the music that you are making, do you feel like it's really exactly what you want to be doing? Is there an element of it that's still kind of reaching toward that, you know, sellability because we have to, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, are you, do you feel like you're really making exactly the music you want to be making? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think it's a mental battle for sure. Um, Sometimes, like I think less so now and more maybe like about a year ago, I was really under a lot of stress with myself just thinking like I'll, I'll make music that just comes from my body automatically. It's like very um, a lot less cerebral art making space for me over the last couple of years. And before I was definitely like, I'll make the music first. And then I'm like, wow, but is this good enough? Is this you know, is this going to reach enough people? And I think I've actually been taking a lot of steps away from that over the last, like, maybe year, which has been really exciting. Um, but I will say the honest truth is that I'm still trying to make music that I want to listen to, because I found that a long time I was making things that were just coming out organically, but I didn't really like it. Um, and so it was interesting to hear from people like, oh, I like this or I like that. And I'm like, I'm so happy that people enjoy the music that I'm making, but I didn't really have like a relationship with the sounds that I was making that made me feel like I would play this in my car or I would listen to this in my kitchen. So I've been really trying to focus on that. A really good friend of mine um, named Maxine was like, we were talking about Little Nas X and when he recently dropped his project and she was like, you know, um, 
I love his album because I feel like it's very clear that he's making music he wants to listen to. And that was like a revolutionary concept to hear. Like I had never even thought about that prior to that conversation. And I was like, wait, why am I not making music that I want to listen to? Like, that's so important. Like, what do I want to hear? I think my subject matter always does that for me. And like the lyrics always do that for me. But I think I have not found the sonic sort of like landscape that I want to live in yet. Like, what does it sound like? What is my signature kind of sound that um, I enjoy and I want to hear? So I've definitely been working more towards that. Yeah. Oh, and that's, I mean, I know that's such a huge thing. The way that I think of that from, because I mostly do classical music from the classical perspective is I think of my quote, mature sound. So, you know, the <laughs> stuff that when people look back on my body of work, they'll be like, oh, that's when they sort of found, you know, their voice, which is so interesting because a lot of music makers in general across all genres work in different genres and do different things. And then if they could, they often put out these passion projects that you're just like, whoa, that's out of left field. But it's just what they wanted to do in that moment. And I always think to me, those are always the most interesting. It's like, what did they do when they were like on vacation and just had access mm. to some materials and they just like put out this thing that they love? There's always so much heart in that. Mm. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I, I find that those are the songs that I'm afraid to show, actually, which... Mm my partner is like, play that stuff. Like, why don't you put that out? And I'm like, it's so like embarrassing. Like, what do you mean? And she's just <laughs> like, no, it's really good. And so to your point, I've, I've been trying to find a way to, to incorporate more of, I guess, yeah, like the, the passion, heart and soul moments when I'm like, like I was in Costa Rica recently. And I find that a lot of my work or I, I make some of the best songs that I've ever made in transit. That's how I spend a lot of time making music, which is speaks to a lot of things and that we could probably talk about for 30 days. But um, mostly I, I think it's just really a place for me to sort of like process where I'm going or process where I am. And um, it was really, I just like started sobbing on the plane. I was like making, making a beat after I had spent a week there and on my way home. And I was just like, whoa, like, what is this? And it, it feels so good. Like, I love the song, but I'm so afraid of um, ever putting something like that out. And she's like, but it's good. Like, why not take a leap of faith and just see what people think of that moment and, and see if they can experience you in Costa Rica in a song, like what that was like for you. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. And are you going to do that? Is that something you're going to put out? I don't know. Cause I, I really love it. And maybe that's the point, right? Like maybe that's what you're getting at. It's like, put out what I love. Um, and if I love it, it like, let it be that right like let it be let that be the last thing like I like it and it feels good to me and put that out and then don't even think about the rest right because once you start thinking about the rest that's when you know the brain kicks in and the self-doubt and the oh, yeah. capitalism and the you know what I mean so I think I need to just let it let it be that I enjoy it and then let it go um 
so maybe and and i'm i think that could actually be really cool and like maybe i'll actually tap you for some help with that because i could definitely hear some strings Oh yeah. <laughs> so that could be like another a side conversation, but I I Those just thought about that yeah. right now. Yeah, that would be crazy. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So this is now becoming a music collaboration podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I totally get that um, from a couple different angles because because this is obviously not to say that you don't love the work that you're putting out, right? Like, you know, I'm, you know, it's not like your new single that you just put out that we're going to be playing at the end. Like, I love it. It's, I like, it's so good, right? It's, it's not that you don't love that. It's that these vulnerable pieces that come, it's, I think a lot of times, especially for me, when they come quickly, when something kind of pops out fully formed in those moments, like you said, in transit, or, you know, when something just kind of comes out and you love it, it's almost like, for me, there's this element of like, was that too easy? Like Mm. this thing that just kind of sprang from my heart, like, is that too easy? And then also if you do put it out there and people just don't love it, there's, they're making more of a comment on like a deeper part of you than something that you constructed and crafted with all of your technique. And, you know, that's a very different thing to put out in the world where, where you can say like, yes, this is well-crafted and so if people don't like it, that's fine. That's their opinion versus something that's like a part of my soul or mm. trying to express something about me that I feel people don't understand. And then they, I, if they see it and they go, yeah, I don't understand. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're just hitting on so many things. You said it absolutely perfectly. It is a part of your soul. You know what I mean? Like imagine someone critiquing your soul. That's intense. Like to Rude. be a musician. that. <laughs> You know, like that's kind of what it is, you know, especially when you're making work like where you're communicating um, directly about your day to day life. And like lyrics wise, like I'm telling autobiographical stories. So if you don't like my autobiography, you don't like my life. You don't like my soul. You don't like, you know, there's a lot more skin in it. Um, And so I think, yeah, that totally is is the fear um and it's fear right i think that's exactly what it is it's just it's fear um but sometimes and like i know this to be true you know being uncomfortable and the fear is actually just like that stepping stone if you push through that what's on the other side could be so incredible um and i'm trying to get comfortable with the other side and like stepping through that um so I think I am. And I think even this conversation, we just started it, but I think it's already, you're inspiring me to think a lot more deeply about just loving when you love something, put it out there, see what people think and um, lean into the fear. Yeah. I used to have a post-it note up and I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like everything you want is on the other side of your fear. And at the same time, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, um, you know, we do have fears that are there for a reason, right? So there's <laughs> there's the fear, you know, that's sort of culturally ingrained about putting ourselves out there. But part of the reason that exists is because, you know, we carry these identities that have traditionally been punished for putting things out there. So how do you know, how do you in yourself notice the difference between that fear that you want to push through and the fear that you need to listen to? Hmm. 
I mean, as far as identity is concerned, like there's so much hate for people in our identities that I, at this point, I don't know if I could curse on here, but I really don't give yeah, a go F <laughs> um, about what other people have to say. Like, I'm not making it for you. And like, I just posted on Twitter or reposted somebody on Twitter that was just like, stop something that was like, stop craving the attention from audiences who don't give a shit about you. And it's like, because <laughs> that's like really where I was for a really long time. Like I'm a hip hop artist. So naturally I would like for the hip hop community and the black community to really support my work. And unfortunately, those are two communities <laughs> that have been, um, you know, the homophobia is running rampant and the transphobia is running rampant and just, you know, the fat phobia is running. It's, there's just like so much going on in my communities um, that are anti me in a lot of ways. And so I think my point though is like, I don't, I no longer want that validation and I, I no longer care um, about like, I'm not afraid of them. I think it more has to do with being afraid of putting myself and my flesh out there on the line that really um, affects me. Cause I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it. Like there's plenty of times and there's plenty of people who I'm not alone in that conversation. Right. Like I won't be the first artist or first queer artist or artist of color to make a comment about things that are difficult. So that doesn't bother me at all. I love that. So where are you getting your support from? Yeah, I think a lot of support comes from just like, like people wanting to talk to me about my story. I think that feels to me like acknowledgement, like this conversation, my partner, um, my therapist, who's also non-binary and really rad and used to play in like a former um, punk band, I think, in the 80s. <laughs> it's just like super sick. Um, yeah, so just like so I try to surround myself and participate in things uh, with people who do see me clearly and who do understand my identity and who do, because it just feels better. Like I remember I had this shift Originally, I started playing in a, with a band that was all cis white dudes. And you can only imagine <laughs> how different, um, you know, we were from each other, uh, class-wise, race-wise, I mean, gender stuff, like just absolutely everything. And it was like when we played music, because music is so transformative and another language, we were very in sync and the chemistry was really incredible. But as soon as we got off stage, it was like we had nothing in common. I would try to have conversations with them and go to dinners with them to try to build like, you know, community with them. And it was impossible, like very, very hard. And so um, all to say that, like, I had that shift where I was like, OK, what if I try to intentionally build like a queer POC band or like a mask presenting and like I've been trying to do this for a really long time or what if I just like only hang out in spaces with other queer folks period like and see the difference and I swear to god it was just like night and day and I was like wow I don't have to explain everything that I'm saying I don't have to you know what I mean it just like opens up a whole world to be able to 
just be and um, not have to explain it and not have to feel insecure about being right. Like it's just, it's life changing. And that started a long, I would say maybe like 20, 2015, I had um, someone I had just met in London, black, queer, awesome person say, you know, it's not impossible to find your people. You just have to do a little bit more work, you know, like be more intentional. And I was like, you know what? That's so true. And so I tried it and it's made a world of a difference for me. I love that idea that it takes a little bit more work because Otherwise, the work that we're doing is just in the space with the people that we're explaining ourselves to. So we're working either way. <laughs> we're either working to, you know, manage our own emotions to like, not for me at least, to not get upset at people for saying, you know, ignorant things <laughs> and like being in that space and doing that, you know, kind of internal work or the education work of actually, you know, doing the explaining or doing the work up front to find the community where you can just be yourself which in theory, everybody can at least find some access to, at least with the internet, even if it's not local. But I mean, certainly local has made a big difference for me. Yeah, that's a good point too, because I feel like for me, it's been definitely digital, especially over the last like year and a half. I found more community online um, than in Boston personally. Or like when I'm trying to find bandmates and things of that nature, the first people to respond and to reach out and to help me are like black queer people that I've never met before. And I'm like, wow, like you care to help me? Like who? we never even had coffee. Like I don't, you know, but it feels really nice because it's just like, wow, I feel like family. I feel support um, and acknowledgement. Acknowledgement is the most important thing to me as a human being, period. Um, and it's something that systems and people have a really hard time doing that's free. <laughs> like it seems yeah. to be like a very difficult thing to do for some people. And it really is the most, there are simple, simple, simple ways to do it. And um, it's tough for people. I don't know why. So what does that acknowledgement look like for you? Like, what do you want from people? I think it's about the unsaids too, right? Like, I think for me, it looks like, you know, gender neutral restrooms. It looks like walking into a space where I see myself reflected in the people there or you know, whether it's staff, whether it's audience, whether it's like representation, um, it looks like asking me what my pronouns are before we have conversations. It looks like um, not assuming that you know what I'm knowledgeable about. And um, you know what I mean? Like the, it's not just men that do it, but like the mansplaining, but like for all genders, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, because yeah, like just like little day-to-day shifts um, to show some care for other people's nuance and differences and, um, you know, and not assume that like everyone thinks like you, everyone is like you, like that for me is really what's the most important so yeah just
Yeah. And I love how you answered that question because I feel like when people approach me, and this has happened certainly in workplaces, you know, where they're trying to get me to basically tell them what to do to make trans people comfortable, right? I'm sure you've been approached for, you know, similar. It's just like, okay, how can we make people like you be happy and not leave? And we're like, well, you have to sort of fundamentally change everything about <laughs> the, the way that you think and how everything is organized. And like, and like you said, stop making assumptions, you know, about who I am, what I'm thinking. And also to recognize, I mean, it's certainly for gender that for a lot of people, their gender changes or they, their experience of it is changing on a regular basis. It's not like you're just solving for a single issue. So it really is that, back, you know, it's the gender neutral bath bathrooms, the background stuff. And I think that that, yeah, that was beautifully said, but it's, it's really the unsaids. It's those things that we see and we notice when we come into a space. And if I don't fundamentally see myself and my loved ones reflected and, you know, the people that I'm in deep community with, I don't want to come back. And I'm not interested in helping fix that either. I'm not trying to come in and fix right. the space. I'm just like, okay, see ya. Good luck. Right. Yeah. Yep. So I know you've touched on this a little bit kind of in your story, but one of the reasons I started this podcast and the title, The Longer Road, reflects that people with multiply marginalized identities often end up feeling behind because there's the having to work harder, you know, to, to get to the same point, but then also like possibly actively being held back in different ways, you know, or sort of like not being given opportunities, et cetera. And I, so that's just a question, you know, have you ever felt held back behind, like, does that, does that resonate for you? And if so, is there anything that you want to share about that? And you don't have to, like, this is not trauma porn. You don't have to dig into any stories you don't want to tell, but just, you know, as a general feeling, if you've experienced that, how have you dealt with it? Ooh, that's a deep one. Um, absolutely. In regards to my music career, it has been a very heavy 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 place um because of that feeling um and not really knowing where to pinpoint you know where it's coming from or who it's coming from or why it's happening um which is all the more frustrating because i i'm a natural problem solver i'm like okay what am i doing that's not clicking what am i doing that's not <laughs> and i had to realize that it's not about what i'm doing like i'm doing the right things I think the problem is what other people are not doing and um and so yeah I, I definitely in my career have felt held back so much and one thing that really came to mind that I haven't talked about with anyone but I've been really struggling with it um on my heart is my social media accounts are definitely shadow banned on like a weekly basis and um Actually, it started really heavily when I posted the Trump versus Biden song that I made um, during the election. And that process for me was really heartbreaking. I mean, imagine, so Instagram was like my biggest form of marketing my work. And then to be shadow banned and told that, um, you know, they feel that my video is going to persuade voters. And so we had to flag it and remove it. Um, or like limit the access for people to be able to see it. And so that was like really painful. 
Um, but I've realized since that point that my page is so easily flagged and I can tell based on my engagement. And so it's really been psychologically fucking me up because I noticed that anytime I post an opinion about something that's not like a comedy or something of that nature, I, I see that my, the stats drastically drop in a way that shows me that I'm being shadow banned. And, um, it's, it's a struggle. The way that I've combated it is really, I, I can't control Instagram and Facebook, right? So I can't really do anything about the system, but I think what keeps me feeling a little bit okay is that I know that that's not my only forum to share and that I have outlets to other places to get my music out there. Um, but essentially, I've been, this has been a really big challenge for me and it has been on my mind every day um, over this past year. Like, it's just, I don't really know what to do to combat that because really what they want is for me to internalize it in this way that's like, don't ever post these things. And I feel like I've, I've been going through that where I'm like, shit, if I post this, am I going to be shadow banned? Okay, I'll take it down. And I've been censoring myself even more because I see that that's happening. But then I'm like, even when I'm not posting anything super crazy, I'm still getting shadow banned. And so now I have this like anxiety that's like, oh my God, anything I post is going to be too much. And am I, you know, what am I saying that's wrong? And you start to really like over assess yourself when it's, I am not the problem. I should be able to post that I don't approve of the way that the Oscars has supported Harvey Weinstein and still gave him Oscars, even though he was like on trial. Like I should be able to post these things and I'm not like writing crazy paragraphs, but I should be able to post an image that says something like that without being shadow banned. Meanwhile, like there's people actively committing hate crimes on the internet and they millions of views. Like, I just don't understand I mean, I understand, but it, it is frustrating that that's the case. And I haven't quite found a way to deal with the internet in a way that's healthy to me. And also in a way that I feel fights back against this injustice. Cause I, I know it's happening. Yeah. Um, and like, there's no number, there's not a Facebook, Instagram hotline that I can call and say, Hey, let's have a meeting about this. Stop doing this. You know what I mean? So in some ways it's, it feels, I feel some days I feel really overwhelmed by it. Um, like today, like I, it happened this morning and I was just like, Oh my God, like I can't just be. And so what that does though, on a positive note is it makes me think about like, controlling your own narrative and controlling your own image. Um, and it brings me back to the importance of a website. It brings me back to the importance of, you know, yeah, being in control of your own work um, so that nobody can limit your access or your reach, um, et cetera. And like, Maybe I need to just completely, not completely, but like maybe I need to remove myself from social media and like place what I'm going to post elsewhere because it's clearly not making an impact in a way that I would like because I am being, um, I'm being hyper censored 
and I'm psychologically being manipulated on the internet. <laughs> so it's tough. This is a big thing for me right now. Yeah. Yeah, that is. And, and I mean, to you know, boil that down, you're trying to use a tool that was explicitly not built for you. Mm. And is essentially telling you that through, you know, even if it's not individual people, or even if it is individual people, whether it's an algorithm, you know, making these decisions or individual people who don't think that they're being racist in that moment, for example, it's obviously systematically happening. So the system is telling you, you know, this is not made for you. And not only that, though, the layers of it are so intense because not only are they just shadow banning me as a regular person, but they're also shadow banning a person who's already in society metaphorically been shadow banned because of every layer of their identity, right? So now we have like a quadruple shadow banning effect happening to my person. Like I, I'm already struggling without Instagram because of who I am and what I look like in my body and all these things. I'm already seen as the bottom. And then you're limiting my freedom of speech and just my opinion like everything on top of that already so like how and this is supposed to be a tool for musicians and it's already hard for me so it just is like a quadruple whammy like I don't you know and I will overcome it I I know I will and I found other ways but it is a big hurdle you know like that's a that it's painful like it's really painful because I need support like I you, they should have an algorithm that does the reverse it's like okay right. let's have this algorithm that finds the most marginalized people and let's boost their pages like can you imagine how cool that would be um to do the opposite but instead no you're like picking on the non-binary black queers who have like want people to hear what they have to say and like no shade but like as non-binary people, like we have some really fucking dope, nuanced perspectives because we are not subjected to these binaries, right? And like we're doing unlearning. It's not like we're perfect. We've all been socialized to think heter in a heteronormative binary, but like as non-binary people and queer people, period, we do not have that basic ass perspective. So we're going to offer you ideas and perspectives that are actually dope and important and different and shit you need to think about. And then you're going to silence those like that. It just, come on. So anybody listening who works in tech or social media, this is your, <laughs> your new project is to create an algorithm that amplifies the most marginalized voices. It's going to be good for everybody. <laughs> that would be so cool. Well, and especially, you know, this is a huge topic, but like, especially because representation changes people's minds. And it's one of the only things that does like literally, you know, gay rights happened in America after gay characters started being on TV on a regular basis and regular Americans when polled were like, Oh yeah, it's literally because of that. So we know how much of a difference representation makes and that absolutely matters on social media as well. And what we're seeing because, you know, even if somebody's following you and they can't see your posts because they're being bumped down to the bottom or whatever, you know, they're not getting your amazing perspective and your very nuanced perspective. And they're seeing more people who are like them. Mm, maybe they want, like, I feel like especially in society right now, 
I saw this TikTok and this girl was so right. She was saying whenever there's about to be like a major shift in thought or in systems, you always get this really intense wave that's trying to suppress it so badly. And I feel like that's happening in so many ways right now. Like people are just so adamant about trying to do the most intense, fucked up, suppressive, repressive, all the things, um, you know, regarding gender, regarding race. It's just like the most intense backwards thinking um, is happening right now. People are clearly afraid that they're going to have difference, um, you know, and have nuance. And so it's just interesting to be a part of this moment and to watch that happen. Because to your point, people are getting more of the same perspective, more of things that they already think, right? Like, because, you know, people don't want anyone to change. They want things to remain um, repetitive and the same because the systems are working for certain people. And why would we want to change them when they're working for us, right? Like, not us literally, but like, if I'm those people. Um, Yes. Yeah, so... And my little, my little political, just, I want to just say this, that is also true of liberal and progressive people and especially white people as well. You know, we have this idea that I'm white and I am probably about as radical politically as most people I know. However, you know, there, I still have a brain that does not want change. Human brains don't Mm. want change. So even if, you know, in theory, I want all of these things at the same time, I'm still literally being privileged by the system that I live in. And Mm. I don't even know what those changes look like applied because I've never been able to experience it really. So it's all really in my head that I'm just like, oh yeah, this would be great if we could have all these things. And then I get to feel good about that and like, you know, feel like, you know, this moral whatever that I, that I am, you know, somebody that wants this change, but realistically I still have a human brain that doesn't Mm. like change. Mm. That's deep. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. And it all it always reminds me too about someone mentioned once, I forget where I was, but thinking about the sense of loss that comes along with change and how that really is like at the core of a lot of people's frustrations and fears of things being different and because you have to think about what you have to give up you know, and that's for everybody. But I feel like in particular, when it comes to like power and privilege, um, that's, it's, it's all about fear of losing stuff. Like, what are you going to lose if someone else gets to share the, you know, if things are more equitable, then how does this affect what I've been given or what I've been doing? And um, it's very, it's super classist too. Like there's, um, so yeah, no, it's, it's about loss. It's about fear it's all really like the way I think about it is like emotions that we were trying to or we've been trying to learn since we were babies I feel like at the core of all of these adults making all these decisions what is really motivating these things are like are like baby minds of like it's my toy give it back I need it like I just feel like humans are just like small babies like you know or like grown body babies like it's just because it's literally preschool shit like oh I have all these toys I want everything and it's like well no like 
little, you know, whoever you are, you have to share. And, but then why, like, how do I keep it all for myself? And I want every, like, just like very ego driven fear and like loss. And I want all the control and all the Barbies, but I have to share with my friend. And now I'm mad at my friend because I wanted it for me. And, but do I really need all these Barbies? Like it, <laughs> like it's literally just like <laughs> grown babies. Like, you know, like it's, this is so random, but this is very much reminding me of, uh, I grew up poor and I knew there was one family at our church that had a big business and their kids had literally the most toys I'd ever seen. They had like a huge pile in one corner with like every beanie baby at the time. It was like, it had to have been hundreds and hundreds in this That's pile. Crazy. They had like every American girl doll, which I cared passionately about at the time, <laughs> which is t- terrible, but um, they had all this stuff. And I remember every time I would go to their house because I came from a culture of like, we don't have a lot, but we're very giving. I always expected that they were going to give me something Um, because I was just like, they have so much. They're literally not using it. They don't even like all of it. And so I just kind of always expected like, and this is so, I haven't thought about this in forever, but I just remember I would just be there and I'd be like, this is so weird that they're not offering me anything from this enormous bounty that they have. (laughs) It's like (laughs) that they have very little emotional connection to. And I remember just, you know, leaving there and just just thinking like that that was I don't know that was probably part of my class awakening as like a nine-year-old it's just like why aren't they giving this stuff away right like what and that is literally those experiences inform the adults we are now right like we we know this like if you're doing self-work and therapy and all that stuff like I don't know I Every, first of all, I am a big proponent of therapy. I love it. I think it's great. I think everyone should do it. But um, yeah, no, it just right away, even that example, it's just like very clear um, that some people, based on experience, some people are really aware of the ways in which like equity is not a thing. Um, and some people are totally comfortable. Like you have to emotionally be comfortable to have this bounty and not want to share it. Like that requires some like psychological, like, I don't know, like, like, where do you learn that? Like, who taught you that? Um, you know, and then who taught those people that? Because clearly it's a, it's a lineage, right? Of thinking and, um, privilege and, you know, but like there's some people that have tons of money and they want to share and some people who have tons of toys and they want to share. So like, what is the difference between what was that person taught versus what the person who doesn't want to share their bounty taught, right? Like, when does that happen? And for me, I, I can't help but think about how that shit starts when you're a baby. Like, this is like kindergarten training. And that's why the representation is so important to be seeing other people and other experiences and to know you know, like I was very aware as a child of the people who were worse off than us because I saw homeless people all the time, Mm. you know, and I was aware like that, that's like, you know, in my mind as a kid, I was like, that's, that's when it's really bad. Right. I was like, we're fine. (laughs) You know, people Mm. give us enough food. We have, you know, we had, you know, enough like food banks around and stuff. Like we were able to get what we needed. And I was aware that there were people who couldn't even access what they needed from anywhere you know, or didn't have a place to keep it. So yeah, I think what you see around you and what, what forms your view of the world when you're a kid 
to your point, like really sticks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Damn. I got to do some more self-work. I got to think this is like so interesting to me. Like imagine if we just like, if we started an Instagram, we'd get shadow banned right away. But like (laughs) if if we started an Instagram where we took like, some of these people creating these like really horrible pills and laws and like passing these laws and think about each of them, like what they went through as a kid and like what applying those like very specific, like Barbie and toy examples to these adults. I'd be so curious to see like, if there's a parallel there, like what was going on and like really breaking it down to like the child psychology of that person. Um, because it, it's just so interesting to me. I don't know. Passion yeah. project. <laughs> so speaking of you as a child, what advice would you give your younger self? Ooh. At any age, you can choose whatever you want to. I would say to 10-year-old me that you will find your people. And although you feel completely outcasted and different from your family, um, they don't have to be the only people a part of your family tree. Mm. Yeah, I would say that to ten-year-old me. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm gonna start wrapping up. Where can people find you? And I want to make sure if you're following Billy Dean on Instagram that you're adding them to your favorites, so you see them even if they're shadow banned. <laughs> <laughs> Um, where can they find me? You can find me on Instagram at Billy Dean Thomas. You can find me on Facebook. Um, if you just put my name in, I should come up, but it comes up as Billy Dean's List. On Twitter, again, is at Billy Dean Thomas. My website, BillyDeanThomas.com. I try to make it simple so my community can find me. Um, yeah, SoundCloud, Spotify, same thing. It's just my name, Billy with a Y. Dean Thomas, like the black kid in Harry Potter, if you didn't know. Um, <laughs> let's let's do some magical stuff, y'all. <laughs> Beautiful. And we'll put all those links in the show notes as well. And then just last question. Can you tell us about the new single that we're going to be playing at the end here? Yeah. So we all go up. It's definitely a turn up track. It's been in a couple of shows, which I'm super proud of. Um I made it with incredible, incredible producer, QTPOC, um, Dr. Cho, Ali Cho, incredible, incredible artist. And it's really just, you know, uplifting our spirits. It's definitely filled with kismet, good energy. Um, it's like a workout pump up song. Um, yeah, just to get us like experiencing some joy and help us manifest, you know, more of who we want to become. So go up, y'all. Yay. <laughs> Joy. Love that. And I love ending on that <laughs> note as well. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share? No, thank you so much, Mattia. Um, this is amazing. So much healing work I feel like we did. And I just look forward to seeing what you do. And look out, maybe Mattia and I will have a track in the future. <laughs> so I'm not going to forget about that. But no, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. And Here comes Billy Dean's Thomas new single right after this. 
Fuck up up Zone Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, And we gotta get free Never scared, I'm ready for enemy Black Beetle, I'm ready to let it be Set up my energy, I am the royal we Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at MattiaMarie.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.